Thank you, Reagan. You have your Bibles, would you open them please this morning to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, specifically chapter 4. In just a moment, we're going to begin reading with verse 24. For those of you that are with us for the first time, for those of you that have been with us through the, all of these sermons, we're in a series entitled An Exposé of the Modern Church. We're looking at the church that exists in 2019 in America. As I said to you earlier, every church expert that I know that has any legitimacy says the church is in trouble. And if something doesn't change, we will continue to become increasingly more irrelevant to the society and the culture that we are in. The church is becoming a cemetery for the dead, a circus for the performers, a carnival for the thrill-seekers, a country club for the elite, a coffee house for the casual, a cesspool for the corrupt, but not a church that worships Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in the last days which we are living in, in the picture of the church at Laodicea, that there will come a time when Jesus will not be welcomed in his own church. He will be put outside to knock on the door and request permission to come in. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not there, we are getting there very soon. So far in our messages, we've seen that Satan is a liar and he's a murderer. That's not my opinion. That's Jesus' assessment. When he talked about Satan, he said he's a deceiver, he's a destroyer, he lies that he can murder, and no greater lie, Satan tells, than the lies of truth, the sound doctrine the foundation of the church. And what Satan's been doing over the last 50 to 60 years is eroding the foundation that's under the church. And in eroding that foundation, he's taking away the sound doctrine that once held us high and strong. And he's replacing it with no doctrine or false doctrine that is sitting us low, preparing us for collapse. Many churches today have a doctrine of a cross without any blood, a cross that cannot save, a cross that cannot change, a cross that has been sanitized from the blood of Jesus because they find it offensive. We have doctrines today in churches that tell us in many ways, subtly and overtly, that the Bible has no more reliability. It has no more relevancy. It can't be trusted because it is not true. We're also told today, as Satan continues to erode the foundation of the church, that you can have Jesus without a Lord Jesus. 
We have stripped him of his deity, and we've stressed his humanity. You can have a salvation without repentance, they tell us. No change is necessary. No transformation is necessary. Just say the prayer. Walk the aisle, get baptized, you're home free. No repentance. We're told today you can have a ministry without compassion. Because after all, isn't ministry all about me? That's all I come for, so I can be all about me. And we no longer see the care and the concern and the burdens and the problems of a lost and dying world around us. We're too busy looking in the mirror as we sing our songs and preach our sermons and do our worship. We become a people without holiness. We live like hell and we think we're going to heaven. We have leaders today in the church that have no influence. Whatever they say has no influence out there on a lost and dying world. We have a hell without reality. We're told that hell is nothing but fake news, a fable, a figment of somebody's imagination. You see, what Satan has done is cleverly taken away the foundation and replaced it with mud and sand. And one day the church, if something doesn't change, is going to collapse. Today we're looking at yet another deception that Satan has put into the church. And it's worship without spirit. Spiritless worship. John chapter 4 Verse 24, the words of Jesus, as he has a conversation with a woman at a well, Jesus took the long way to go to where he was going because he wanted to have a conversation with a woman who did not understand worship. And many of us perhaps today don't understand worship. But when the day's over, hopefully we all will. John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus' words to her, among many others. The God you seek to worship is a spirit. And they that choose to worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What is worship? There seems to be a great confusion about it. How do you worship? There seems to be great chaos about it. So let's talk about those two questions before we proceed into our text. What is worship? If somebody was to come up right now and stick a microphone in your face, Miss BJ, just using you for an example, don't panic. But if somebody was to put a microphone in any of our faces and say, 
What is worship? What would you say? Uh, well, um, what is worship? The truth of the matter is, every one of us would probably give a different answer. Because worship can mean many different things to many different people. Be it true or false, right or wrong, we all have our ideas what worship is. Some of you would say worship is going to church. Going to church is worship. Others of you might say, no, worship is singing songs with Keith and listening to Pastor Jim's sermon, at least part of it. Worship is a group of people gathering together in the name of Jesus. Worship is enjoying God's creation. Enjoying God's creation in a fish pond or in a hunting stand or at the golf course. You can worship God anywhere. Some would say worship is praising Jesus. However the Spirit leads you. You have perfect freedom, however the Spirit leads you, to worship Him, praise Him however you want. Now all of these answers, and there would be many more, are partially right, but they're also partially wrong. But they're all woefully inadequate. In just a moment, we're going to talk about what is worship. But let's talk about the second question. How do we worship? How do we worship? And most of us would say, based on our own personal preference, this is the way you're to worship. We have some who are what I call traditional worshipers. You like the piano, you like the organ, you do not like guitars, you certainly don't like a drum. You like a choir, you don't want a praise band. And you believe the only songs that can be sung have got to come out of that hymnal. And you got to hold the hymnal. Can't read the words off up there. Hold the hymn book songs, you say. That's what worship should be. Worship should be scripture reading. Should be prayer. Should be saying the doxology after you get the offering. Traditional worship is receiving an offering, passing the plate. And then a sermon. And then an invitation. Traditional worship, everything's planned, everything's structured. There's no room for spontaneity. No changes allowed. This is what we do because it's on the paper. It's in the bulletin. That's traditional worship. And some of you are traditionalists. Not picking on you, that's just the way you are. Others of you are contemporary. You believe that there shouldn't be a piano and organ. If you had your way, they'd be hauled off. Guitars, 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 more guitars. A saxophone, some drums. 
no choir, a praise team. No hymn book songs, choruses only, 7-Eleven choruses. We're going to pray, but we're not going to mention Jesus' name. That's offensive. We're going to take an offering, but we'll just put the offering boxes out there because we don't want to offend anybody by taking an offering. We're not going to open a Bible because the Bible can be offensive, so we'll just throw around some scripture verses we memorize, and you can read them off the screen. And the contemporary church, the whole idea is we're never going to be offensive to anybody. The preachers sit on a stool with jeans with holes in them. Those are high-priced jeans, by the way. And he'll have a T-shirt on. He'll look like Dr. Phil. And he'll give a wonderful devotional, a wonderful motivational pep talk. And then there'll be no invitation, because invitations, by the way, also are offensive to people. So everybody just leaves, more or less, when he's through. And some of you are contemporary worshipers. Then there's another way of worship that you might say, well, this is me. I, I'm not traditional. I'm not contemporary. Pastor, I'm more spiritual than those two. Oh, you are? Yes. I'm spontaneous. Nothing planned. Nothing structured. Nothing prepared. I just fly by the seat of my britches. We're going to sing as led by the Spirit. What are we going to sing? I don't know. We'll just get up here whenever, however, whatever, wherever. We're just going to just go with the flow. We might sing five minutes. We might sing 50 minutes. Who knows? We'll just go with the Spirit. Doesn't that sound spiritual? Just go with the Spirit. And I'm going to preach. Those in spontaneous churches, the preacher preaches in the Spirit. In other words, he hasn't done a bit of study. He hasn't done any preparation. He's just going to get up there and wing it. So he repeats himself over and over and over again. Tells a bunch of stories about himself. And that's it. He might preach a little. He might preach a lot. He may not even preach at all. Just as the Spirit moves him and grooves him. Because he's dancing a little bit while he's up there. And then they have people who give testimonies. They, they got to have the mic in their hand. After all, it's all about me. So they come up and they give their testimony and they'll talk for 30 or 40 minutes about themselves. Maybe Jesus will be mentioned in there somewhere, but probably not. Because it's all about me, isn't it? And then the participants, they sit out there like you. But they can be spirit-led too. They can dance, they can speak in tongues, they can jump, they can lay down, they can run about, they can climb walls, they can drop from the ceiling, they can do whatever they want to do. After all, they're led by the what? Spirit. Now, you ask, Pastor, of those three, which is biblical? All of them, to some degree. Which of these are not biblical? All of them, to some degree. But like what I just said, they're all woefully inadequate when you try to describe how to worship. 
So that brings us back to the $2 million questions. What is worship, and how are we to worship? So let me take you on a little journey, if I may, just for a second. Don't, don't get panicky. But let's go through the New Testament for just a second. The New Testament begins with Matthew, ends with the book of Revelation. The New Testament is the marching orders for the church of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is the marching orders for the nation of Israel and God's people, the Israelites. But the New Testament is the marching orders of our commander-in-chief to his church and to the saints who make up the church of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, am I a saint? You are a saint. If you're born again, you're a saint. Okay, you got that? You say, Pastor, if I'm a saint, do I get a colored glass on the window with myself? No. Saints in the Bible are people who have received Jesus as their Savior. You know what they call people who have not received Jesus as their Savior? Ain'ts. So you're either a saint or you're an ain't. So what does the New Testament say to the saints about how we're to worship and what is worship? Well, in the New Testament, there's two Greek words that translate worship. So when you go through the New Testament and you see the word worship in English, it's been translated from one of two Greek words. The first Greek word is used 60 times in the New Testament. It talks about the meaning of this particular Greek word for worship is about personal worship, private worship, one-on-one -on -one worship with God, where you praise Him and adore Him for who He is and what He's done. That word for worship is used 60 times in the New Testament. Personal, private worship by yourself in your quiet place where you praise God, you adore God for who he is and what he's done. And everybody should have that every single day. A holy place that you go to and engage in personal, private worship of adoration to God for who he is and what he's done. Then there's another word for worship that's used 26 times in the New Testament. It speaks of corporate worship, collective worship, where all the saints of God come together on the appointed day, and they too worship God. They worship God not so much to give praise, though they give praise, they worship God not so much to give adoration, although we give adoration. Our worship is more about growing ourselves, elongating ourselves, elevating ourselves, that when we leave here, pay attention, when we leave here, we have grown in the Lord that we can take something we've learned in here, grown in here, transformed ourselves in here with out there and make a difference. Private worship is about changing us. Corporate worship is about us worshiping in such a way that we can leave here and change them. 
So the question would be, Pastor, what kind of worship should we be doing? Both. You ought to come in on Sunday morning bringing with you your personal private worship. The six days that you have spent with God in your holy of holy place, your prayer room, all the praise and all the adoration that you've sent up to him Monday through Saturday of who he is and what he's done, you bring in here on Sunday. And together, we bring it all together under the leadership of Keith, who's under the leadership of the Spirit of God. And we have a worship service that begins to motivate us and inspire us, captivate us, energize us, that when we leave this place, we want to go out there. And that worship so changes us in here that when we go out there, we change them. I'd like to say something to you. Corporate worship that doesn't change you or me in here is not worship. If we walk out the same people that walked in, if we leave here with the same influence, with the as, uh, as we came in with. If we don't have any more light for that darkness, any more salt for that decay, then we have wasted our time in corporate worship. Does that make sense to you? So what is biblical worship? It's believers coming together with six days of praise and adoration that they have from their private devotionals. They bring it in here. And with a passion, with energy, with excitement, they get wound up a little bit. They listen to music about Jesus. They listen to preaching about Jesus. And it, they grow in the Lord. They're transformed in the Lord. They're stretched this way. They're stretched that way. And when they leave here, they go out there and that lost and dying world says, wow, I want what It doesn't matter if it's traditional. It doesn't matter if it's contemporary. It doesn't matter if it's spontaneous. If it doesn't change the people who are worshiping, it's not worship. It's not worship. So many churches have great stuff going on on the inside and nothing going on on the outside. Satan was standing outside a church one Sunday. I'm not going to mention the church's name. I'll protect the church. But he was standing outside a church. And somebody asked him, did it bother him? Did it bother the prince of darkness that there was a bunch of people inside that church? Singing and shouting and praising. Singing songs, preaching sermons. Did it bother him? The people of God were all wound up. 
He said, it don't bother me a bit. Let them get roused up on Sunday. Because Monday through Saturday, they'll be the same people they've always been. And so sadly, that, the reason I didn't tell you a name of a church, it could be any church. I'm telling you, if our coming together on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night is not changing you to make a difference out there, we've wasted your time and ours. Worship. I want us now in the time that we have remaining to look at Jesus' conversation with this lady. I want you to know that this could be his conversation with you and I because Jesus is going to talk to her about worship. The first thing I want you to see that he talks to her about is the person of worship. Not just the person of worship, the right person of worship. Look at verse 23 and 24. Now when you see something once, you ought to pay attention. If you see something mentioned twice, you ought to pay more attention. Jesus says to this lady, The hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers... Now he, why did he put true there? Because there's false worshipers. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, verse 24. And they that worship him must worship him, help me out, in and in truth. Now in two verses, he repeats himself twice. You say, did he forget he said it in the first verse? No. He's repetitious because he's making a point. We must worship the right person. And who is this one that we're to worship in spirit and truth? Jesus calls him the what? Look at verse 23. What does Jesus call him? The Father. Now this lady, whom Jesus is having a conversation with, she is a worshiper. She's an idolatrous worshiper, but she is a worshiper. She worships a God of her own making and her own choosing. In other words, she's religious, although she's very immoral. Religion allows you to be immoral. She's an idolatrous. She's worshiping worshiping up a God that she has made up in her mind and that she has invented with her hands. She's a worshiper. She's an idolater. She's worshiping a God that's not true, that's not living. But it's a God that she feels comfortable with because this God allows her to be who she wants to be, say what she wants to say, do what she wants to do, and still have a semblance of an eternity. And she's no different than many people today who make up gods in their minds, create gods with their hands, and then they worship those gods 
because those gods are fashioned and formed after them. Jesus tells her, there is a God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the patriarchs. He's the God of David and the kings of Israel. He's the God of the prophets, Elijah, and many others. He is the true, the living, and the only God. He is Yahweh God. He's Elohim God. He's God the Father. And he says to her, that's the God that you're to worship. And it's interesting, he stresses to her, he's God the Father. Why did he do that? Because he wanted her to know two things that are important if you're going to worship the right person. This one that we worship called God the Father, he is like a father. He's approachable, he's attentive, he's affectionate to those who come to him. He's not a stranger. He's not a brute. He's not some executive who shuts the door and don't let you in. He's not distant. He's not distracted. He's not disinterested. He's telling her that the God that you're supposed to worship, the true, the living, the only God, the God that we call Father, you can come to him anytime. You can come to him anywhere. He will receive you. He will listen to you. He will love you. Because that's who he is. Wow. See, her picture of God was not like that. And then secondly, he uses the term God the Father because he wants her to see that worship is based on relationship, not religion. If there's anything you should ever understand about the Bible, it's a relationship book. It's not a religious book. It teaches us how we can have a relationship with this God the Father. How we can become sons and daughters of His by having a personal relationship with His only beloved begotten Son, Christ Jesus. So Jesus is saying to this lady, you are a worshiper, but you're a false worshiper. You're worshiping a God of your own imagination. You're worshiping a God that was invented by your own hands. You are worshiping a God that's fashioned after yourself, that allows you to do what you want to do and still have a hope for heaven. You're worshiping the wrong God, ma'am, is what he's saying. The God that you need to worship is God the Father. He loves you. You can approach him. He will give you his attention and his affection. And you can approach him because you can have a relationship with him. You can be adopted into his family. You can become a son and daughter of God. So he sits her straight. And then he moves on. He says something else. He says, not only do you must worship the right person, God the Father, the God of the Bible, but you also must worship in the right place. Now notice Jesus says to her in verse 20 and 21. He says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. This is the lady talking to Jesus. He's talking to her about where do you worship. 
And then Jesus speaks back to her. He says, ma'am, lady, woman, by the way, is translated lady or ma'am. It's not a disrespectful term. He says, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither worship in the mountain nor in Jerusalem to worship the Father. Now, I wonder what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying true worship, the kind of worship that will transform your life, send you out that you can be a light to a dark world, a salt to a decaying world, send you out that you can make a difference. The kind of worship that does that is worship that's with the right person, God the Father, and it's done in the right place. Now, in that day that she was living, the thought was that God was in some place and you had to go to that place to worship him. The Samaritans believed he was on top of a mountain, so that you had to go to the top of the mountain and there you worship him. The Jews believed he was in the temple in Jerusalem, and if you were going to worship him, you had to go to that temple in Jerusalem and there you could worship him. Jesus said, that's incorrect. And the time is coming when all of that's going to change anyway, even if it was correct. The time is coming when the sanctuary of God, where God will be, that you can worship Him, will not be in a place, but it will be in you. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Jesus went up, the Spirit came down. And where did the Spirit of God go when He came down? He came inside believers. If you are a born-again believer here this morning, the Spirit of God is not around you, by you, or with you. Ladies and gentlemen, He's in you. In other words, you can worship God anywhere you're at because He's in you. And that's what He's telling her. Now, if that be true, then this place of worship where we're going to meet God which is within ourselves, must be holy, should it not? You know, we, we often talk about holiness. And I, I had asked Norman to put some signs up coming into the sanctuary. He hasn't done it yet. But I, I thought, since we all know that God's in the sanctuary here, that we'll put up a no-smoking sign I told Norman to get a pack of cigarettes and draw a line through it. No smoking in the sanctuary because God's in here. And no drinking in the sanctuary. We're going to have a bottle of Jack Daniels with the line through it and the Coca-Cola next to it with the line through it. Everybody knows you drank Jack Daniels with Coke, right? No. <laughs> We're going to put a sign up because you can't drink alcohol in the sanctuary. Then we're going to have a person with their mouth open. We're going to draw a line through it. No cussing in the, in the sanctuary. Then we're going to have a picture of a bed with a line through it. No fornicating in the sanctuary. Then we're going to have a picture with a fist on it with a line through it. No fighting in the sanctuary. Then we're going to have a picture with a hand wide open. Lying through it, no stealing in the sanctuary. <laughs> I mean, after all, God's in the sanctuary, right? Listen, 
We ought to respect the sanctuary, but listen to me. Listen carefully. He's not here. He's here. And the truth be known. The truth be known. Every one of us should have a sticky on our back that says no smoking. This is the temple of God. No alcohol. This is the temple of God. No fornicating. This is the temple of God. No stealing. This is the temple of God. No cussing. This is the temple of God. This is where I worship Him. He's in me. And that's what Jesus is saying to her. You just don't get holy when you go to the mountain. You just don't get holy when you go to Jerusalem. You're holy all the time because the day is going to come when you're going to worship Him from the inside out. Thirdly, He's talking about genuine worship. He said it has to be the right person, God the Father. It has to be in the right place. You've got to worship God from the inside out. He's in you. And you need to be holy to do that because He is a holy God. Then there must be the right procedure. Look at verse 24. Again, verse 23 and 24. Jesus says that when you worship the Father, in verse 23, you worship Him in spirit, in truth. He goes back in verse 24 and says it again. They that worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and truth. So the question is, what does it mean to worship Him in spirit? It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Although the Holy Spirit gives us the will and do of the Father's work. This word spirit speaks of our passion. True worship occurs when the Spirit of God invades the spirit of you and I and brings us to worship. The Spirit of God invades us, lights the furnace, and the fires begin to burn and the passion of worship takes place. It's not something you plan. It's not something you orchestrate. It's not something you connive. It's not something you do to manipulate people. It comes out of a spontaneous passion that the Spirit of God gives us as we worship. The sad matter is we don't have a lot of passion in church worship. You see, we're so revolted by the craziness that goes on over here that we swing the pendulum back over here and we do nothing. Craziness is not of God, but doing nothing is not of God. There has to be a balance, and that balance is passion. You bring your passion, respectful passion, sincere passion, but passion. When's the last time you ever got excited about coming to worship? Most of us don't look like we're excited. Y'all smile more when I talk about hamburgers than you do Jesus. We, we need to have some passion. Most of us come to our, a worship service at 11 o'clock sharp and we're going to leave 12 o'clock dull. Most of us come to a worship service and we boast like the man who said, I've never seen my pastor's eyes. He closes his eyes when he prays, and I close my eyes when he preaches. 
By the way, my eyes are brown, for those of you who don't know. Spirit means passion. And truth means sound doctrine. Our worship will be no greater than what we know about God through his word. It's very important that you understand what you get excited about. Some people just get excited in church, but they don't know who they're getting excited about. Because they don't know nothing about the God of the Bible. They're never taught. Suppose you and I went to a River Dogs game together. Baseball's coming up in a couple of weeks, so you and I, we're going to go to a game together. I got the tickets, you're going to sit next to me. Suppose around the second inning of the ball game, baseball game, you and I sitting together, I jump up, ah, out of that seat. I scare the daylights out of you, because you've never seen me do that before. And I holler out, take it to the hoop, take it to the hoop, take it to the hoop. <laughs> and you're looking at me. But I settle back down. Fourth inning comes up. All of a sudden, I jump up again. Throw it to the man in the post. Throw it to the man in the post. Work the paint. Some of you ain't caught on yet. I'll explain it to you in a minute. Around the seventh inning of the game, I stand up again and I shout with a loud voice, run the pick and roll, run the pick and roll. <laughs> Ninth inning, game's almost over and you're happy. I stand up one more time. I'm going to give the River Dogs a word of encouragement. Don't foul him. Don't foul him. <laughs> now, for those of you who may not know what sports is, I'm in a baseball game hollering out basketball terminology. You'd say, that guy's a nut. Our pastor's a full-blown nut. He fell from the tree. And you'd be right. To go to a baseball game and holler out things that have no relevancy to baseball would make one look foolish. To come to church and worship a God that you know nothing about. And what you know about him is totally erroneous makes you look foolish too. You have to have the right procedure. Jesus said you worship in spirit with passion and you worship the person of God in truth knowing who he is. And then lastly and very quickly, time is running out. We're on the clock. I promise you we'll be on time. Right person, God the Father. 
Right place, you worship God from the inside out, for He liveth in you. Right procedure, you worship Him with passion. And you worship Him with the truth of knowing who He is. Not some imagined, made-up God of your own choosing. And then lastly, you worship Him with the right purpose. What's the purpose of worshiping God? As I've already told you. It's for us to grow this way and this way with Him in here. That we can go out there and make a difference. That's the whole purpose of this. To be have your faith challenged, have your faith increased, that you grow this way, you grow that way, and when you go out there, you make a difference. Because worship, if done properly, will change you to be like the one you worship. Have you listened to me? Catch that. Worship, if it's done right, will change you and die to be like the one that we're worshiping. You'll take on their mind, you'll take on their mouth, you'll take on their mannerisms, you'll think like they think, you'll feel like they feel, you'll love what they love, you'll hate what they hate. Have you ever been around a husband and wife that's been married a number of years? He'll say two words and she'll finish it. She'll think something and he'll say it. You know why? Because though they're two separate people, they've been around long enough and hung around each other long enough that they now are one. You know a pastor who's been at a church a long time? The people will become like him over a period of time? I know that's scary to some of you. (laughs) Just pray for me, I'll be like Jesus, so when you be like me, you'll be okay. You ever seen people with dogs? If they have a dog long enough, they, the dog and them look alike. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. I had a lady at the first service. She came up to me and she said, you know, my husband does look like our dog. <laughs> the more you're around Jesus the more you will be like him. And that's what the whole purpose of worship is, to be lost in his presence, to be found in his likeness, to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful son, one day. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.